0: Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother Stephen. I thank you Lord for his willingness to serve you in whatever capacity you see fit for him to serve you in. Lord, and as it was was mentioned earlier as far as gifting is concerned, Lord, uh, spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts. Spiritual gifts, Lord, you you may give and and then increase in certain time at certain times for certain reasons, and so Lord, I pray, Father, that you would increase that gift in Stephen to teach your word and to, Lord, bring it forth in such a way, Lord, that it, that it is coming straight from you. And so fill him with your Holy Spirit, Father, empower him and uh, use him, Lord, mightily this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Uh, I think uh, the, the last song that we went or that we sung uh, says, let's, let's touch that, I will speak to my fear, I will preach to my doubt, you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now, and then the chorus goes, I will believe it, I will believe it. So that's my message, um, I'm done. <laughs> so I, uh, God gave me something to say, so I'll go ahead and say it. We're going to be in Hebrews 3, if you guys want to make your way there. But I'm going to start in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gent- gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11:28 through 30. So Jesus is calling to himself all who labor. Who here is laboring? Who here is heavy laden? Heavy laden brings to mind a horse or a donkey that's piled high with with goods and for a long journey, straining under the weight of the load. The yoke that Jesus mentioned is used for work. It's placed on, on on the back, on the neck of a horse or an ox for plowing or for pulling a cart. Uh, the use of the yoke also implies a, a driver or somebody who's in control, whether that's plowing or, or telling, telling, somebody in the wagon, you know, telling the horse in the wagon where they're going. Somebody who's directing the work. So Jesus is saying, come work for me. He's saying, quit working for the world, quit working for, yours, for ourselves, and come work for me. But he's not saying quit working. He's not saying come to me and your life is going to be easy. What he's saying is learn from me. Pay, by paying attention to the one who's leading, the one who's directing, he has, um, by paying attention to Jesus, the work he has for us will not be a burden. It won't be too heavy to accomplish. By laboring with the strength that Jesus provides, the work will be easy and we will find rest. So the promise Jesus gives us is a light burden, an easy yoke. He promises rest. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And I ask that you would uh, just use your word uh, to penetrate hearts to do whatever work you have for it to do this morning. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for giving us rest. We thank you for your promises. And Lord, we ask that you would help us and give us the strength to accept those promises and to rest in your plan and your purpose. Lord, we lift this time up to you, committed into your care. and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Title of the message is... Come out of the wilderness. Even though Jesus promised rest, we often fail to find it or experience that rest, and we end up wandering in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers. They are experiencing tough times, and they're ready to turn back. They're ready to turn back from their faith. Hebrews 3 and 4 are comparing the Israelites whom God delivered from the bondage of slavery, but they failed to enter the promised land. With the believers, whom Jesus has delivered from the bondage of sin and death, but they failed to enter his promised rest. So many of us could be wandering in the wilderness right now. This message is personal for me. For someone who's been a believer for decades and been serving for almost two, I'm up here admitting it wasn't long ago I was also in the wilderness. This message is about what God has shown me and how the Lord worked to lead me out of the wilderness. So, as believers, we have a peace with God, we have salvation, right? But not the peace of God. His promised rest and a victorious life. If we're in the wilderness, we're missing that peace of God. So as I break down this passage, just know that this is much a reminder for me as it is a reminder for you and an, exhort, or an exhortation for you all. So we're going to try to answer the following questions. What wilderness? How did we get here? What rest? And how do we get out and enter his rest? So let's start in Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And then we're going to skip on down to 15. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So what wilderness? Twice in this passage, uh, uh, the author talks about the rebellion. So let's just take a quick history lesson and, and consider this moment in history. So the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. God sent Moses to deliver uh, His people from Egypt and to take them to Canaan, to take them to the Promised Land. Uh, Pharaoh, who was you know, was king there in, in Egypt, wasn't willing to get his to have his slave labor force just pack up and move away. So God demonstrated His power and His might to convince Pharaoh through the twelve plagues, uh, through the Nile turning to blood, frogs, flies, boils, hail, darkness. And then also the death of the firstborn. Uh, Pharaoh finally relented. He permitted them to leave. And not only did they leave, but they sent the wealth of, of Egypt with them. Just go, please. But it wasn't long before Pharaoh had second thoughts, and he sent his army to go chase after him. And all this did is result in more demonstrations of God's power. The pillar of fire by night the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army as the Red Sea collapsed back in on itself. So the people of Israel were all witness to all the miracles that were performed for their benefit. You'd like to think they could trust God to do anything after seeing all that, right? Um, But it was not so. I mean, immediately, like we're talking, I think the next day, they complained about lack of water. So God gave them water from a rock, a miracle. Not just, they didn't find find a stream. He said, water from a rock. I've got you, the Lord's saying. They complained about lack of food. So God gave them the miracle daily of the manna from heaven. And then that miracle, that daily miracle, they then found contempt in. And so then they were complaining because they were only getting the manna, the miracle, every day. So God gave them quail. It took them two months to reach Mount Sinai, uh, where God uh, gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He was up on the, the, the mountain for 40 days. And they got nervous. They got scared. They were focused on Moses as their God instead of God. And so, you know, they rebel and they, they build their own calf, their, their own God in the golden calf. Someone to worship and, and they said someone to lead them, even though it's an, an inanimate object, right? So they spent a year at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, Moses had to go up there again because he broke the tablets, right? So he had to go up there again for another 40, 40 days to get the tablets. And then they spent um, time you know, getting the camp in order. There's like 600,000 Israelites here uh, building the ark, building the tabernacle, and getting everything ready to go. Then the Lord says, let's go. Let's get out of here. So they travel to uh, Kadesh Barnea. Where, where the actual rebellion occurred. So they sent out the 12 spies into the land, 40-day reconnaissance mission, right? And they, they see this land flowing with milk and honey, giant fruit, big, big grapes, and big produce, and, but there was giant people too. The spies return. Of the 12, only Joshua and Caleb bring a good report. Uh, They're the only two that are ready to enter the promised land and conquer it. Numbers thirteen twenty-seven 27 says, uh, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So, this is the rebellion. As the 10 spies convince the people it's too dangerous to enter the land, they deny the power of God that they've just seen for years, right? They heard God from the cloud and it was too much. They're like, please, not again, God. They deny the power of God to fight on their behalf and making plans. They make plans to go back to Egypt. Uh, numbers 14, 4. And they said, to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they're just going to abandon Moses and go back. For the previous year and a half, the people of God saw the miracles of the Lord the plagues, the Red Sea, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. They've seen the presence and the power of the Lord, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough uh, for them to believe that God would provide the victory in the promised land. What, it, what does that tell us? Egypt is a picture of the world and our bondage to sin. Just as the exodus from Egypt delivered Israel from the bondage of slavery, we as believers are delivered from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus accomplished our deliverance, our exodus from sin through his life and death and resurrection. Canaan is a picture of our spiritual inheritance inheritance in Christ. It is a picture of our victorious life in Christ. And yes, just as when they actually did end up going into Canaan, there will be battles. There will be defeats. But the full blessing and rest offered by God is only available by stepping into the promised land, stepping out by faith. Jesus, as, just as Israel had to cross the Jordan and claim the land for themselves... We as believers must do the same thing. We must claim our inheritance by faith. God, they were planning you know, to go back. They found a leader and, and they're planning to go back to Egypt. But God wouldn't allow it. Even though they refused to enter Canaan. God wouldn't allow it because this would mean that they were returning to the bondage of slavery. And as with all of the Bible... The Old Old Testament is a picture and a message of salvation in Jesus. So them returning to Egypt would have sent the wrong message. So God didn't allow it. So he sent them into the wilderness. While the wilderness is a punishment, it's an expression of God's wrath, right? You're going to see my wrath. Even though it was punishment and wrath, he never left them. For 40 years in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud and fire directed wherever they went. That pillar moved, they moved, if it stopped, they stopped. Every second of the day, there's a pillar there saying, I am God, I am with you. For 40 years, the miracle of manna continued to to provide food and sustain them. For 40 years, their clothes did not wear out. So what does this wilderness represent in our lives as believers? What could, it, what could it represent in our lives? We can look down at the Israelites and say, wow, they had all these miracles. and Look what God did for them, and they couldn't muster up the faith. But what, are we really any different, right? What miracles has God done specifically in your life? In the, possibly in the past year and a half that you've already forgotten about. As he delivered you from a trial, removed an obstacle, healed an illness, and comforted you in a time of mourning. Well, my wilderness wandering started more than a year and a half ago. It comes down to knowing God's word, knowing God's promises, but not claiming them as my own. Another important contributor for me and I know I'm not alone in this is my tendency to do everything in my own strength. instead of letting God supply that strength, letting God supply everything to supply all I need, which is his promise. Over the last year and a half, I've seen himself I've seen him show himself strong on my behalf through so many trials. There's been a ton of hospitalizations of various family members, surgeries, too, in the last year, and layoffs that he brought me through. But also, he's shown himself strong in victories and blessings, blessings blessings of personal growth, of relationships, but also in the really tough times, the deterioration and death of my mom. But through that, God orchestrated so many details that clearly communicate to me specifically that he cares, that he is my strength, that he is there to support me. Through those last few hospitalizations, and then a true peace once she finally went to be with the Lord. Also, decades old burden and insecurities during this time resurfaced, only to have God finally, after decades, bring me to acceptance and truly be able to lay those down. God gets us through these, these trials. And then the next thing that comes up, have we already forgotten? Will we allow the next trial or the next difficulty to put us back in the wilderness? I pray not. God has often demonstrated his power on our behalf, and we still doubt. We aren't able to enter his rest. Are we in danger of going back as well? For a believer, we cannot return. Because this would mean that we're returning to the bondage of sin. It would mean we're losing our salvation. And God's not going to allow that, praise the Lord. But God will allow us to wander in the wilderness of defeat and dryness and decay. For as long as we want. He's still with us, though, just as he was with the Israelites. He's still watching over us. He's still providing. But we don't enjoy the fullness of God's blessings. We are out of Egypt, but we're not yet in Canaan. We are doubting God's word and living restless lives. We are going through our lives attempting to do things in our own will, attempting to do his will in our own strength and not resting on his promises. We aren't claiming our spiritual inheritance in Christ. Ephesians 1.11 In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that's the wilderness. How did we get here? If you are there, I pray you're not all there. The author of Hebrews is using this illustration to caution his readers and us, the dangers of unbelief that could prevent us from experiencing what the rest God intends. They refused to trust God in the great things he promised and were unwilling to continue in trust. Therefore, he could not enter, they could not enter the rest appointed for them in the land of Canaan. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, 8. All God did for them did increase their faith. It didn't benefit them spiritually. It only hardened their hearts. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Because of their rebellion, hard hearts, and unbelief, God allowed, them, God allowed an entire generation to die in the wilderness. Every person who was 20 years old or older at the time of the rebellion was allowed to die while wandering. Only two were spared, Joshua and Caleb, the two that were willing to conquer, the two that were willing to enter the rest, to enter the promised land. And with whom has he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. Many of us have come out of Egypt. We are saved, praise God, and have the peace with God. But we refuse to enter Canaan due to unbelief. We refuse to enter the peace of God. Philippians 4.7 And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's and minds in Christ Jesus. We are stuck wandering because of our disbelief. We are doubting that God is enough for the challenges ahead of us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. What causes such unbelief? A disbelieving heart becoming hardened. It does not respond to God's word and the works of God In our lives, unbelief is not inability to understand, but unwillingness to trust. It is the will, not the intelligence, that is involved, according to William Newell. Just like the Israelites, after witnessing so many miracles, these wandering believers aren't affected by the promises and faithfulness of God. We are unwilling to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and allow them to trust the promises of God. Uh, Spurgeon said this better than than I, so I just copied it. Um, Imagine that after I had made a statement, a man should declare that he did not believe me. In fact, he could not believe me, though he would like to do so. I should feel aggrieved, certainly. But it would make matters worse if he added... In fact, I have been for years trying to believe you and I cannot do it. What does he mean by that? What can he mean but that I am an so incorrigibly false and such a confirmed liar that though he would like to give me some credit, he could not do it. With all the effort he cannot make in my favor, he finds it quite beyond his power to believe me. Now a man who says, I've been trying to believe in God, in reality says just that regarding the Most High. Are we there sometimes? I know you can, God, but are you going to do it for me? Is that promise for me? Yes, it is. Refusing to believe God is a serious sin. When left uncorrected and unrepented, this unbelief leads to a lifetime of compromise and sin. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That our hearts may not be hardened by sin. That hidden sin you indulge in, none, none suspect you of it because you hide it well. You deceive yourself. Believing that it really does little harm, you can always ask for forgiveness later. You can always die to self and surrender to Jesus in the coming months or years. What you cannot see or sense is that your hidden sin hardens your heart. As your heart becomes harder, you become less and less sensitive to your sin. You become more and more distant from Jesus. And your spiritual danger grows every day. David Guzik. That hidden sin you indulge in. Unbelief has led to distance from Jesus. And that distance has led to sin. A vicious cycle of sin leading to hardness of heart. That leads to more distance from Jesus. And the word of God leading to more sin. Round and round. Down and down. Until you are an effective and weak, and defeated in your walks, in our walks. Hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It wouldn't, sin wouldn't be as enticing if it came with full disclosure, announcing the consequences and the damage it would take. It is deceitful in nature, and that's the great danger. The insidious nature is that when we have unbelief and stop believing in God, we don't stop believing. We start believing lies. When we stop believing in God, we don't stop believing. We start believing lies. Lies that sin tells us and has power over us. It lies at what it calls itself. It lies at what it promises. It lies in the excuses before and after sin. It lies in telling us we won't get caught. And the lies of the enemy don't stop there. He tells you you're alone. You're all alone. You need to hide your sin. You are wretched, and no one will forgive or understand. Well, the wretched part is right. That's true. Everything else is a lie. Isolation and demoralization are the intended goals of the enemy. So we must reject those lies. We are not intended to do this alone, but the enemy would like that. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, has great power and it is working in my case God orchestrated this series of events which gave me the strength to ask a brother for help for accountability that allowed me to start back on a path out of the wilderness Uh, the foundations book has this little quote I don't know who it's from but I think it sums it up nicely Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you what you did not want to become. So that's how we got here. That's how we ended up in the wilderness. Unbelief is a refusal to trust God, to trust his word. That unbelief produces sin that further separates us from a victorious life God intends and separates us from the rest he promises. So let's get into the rest. The writer of Hebrews is contrasting uh, the Israelites and the Hebrew believers. He's comparing Moses, the faithful servant, with Jesus and the superiority of Jesus as the faithful son. Our belief centers on that superiority of Jesus Christ, that truth of who he is, fully God, fully man, and his atoning work for, for us as a faithful high priest, Jesus is our perfect high priest. He prepared for us blessing and rest. Once more, the writer of Hebrews gives us the warning about entering rest, starting in, in 4 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering still stands, entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it unbelief prevented the generation that left Egypt from entering the promised land unbelief prevents us believers from entering his rest but the verse tells us that the promise remains it remains available to us rest means peace of god rest means deliverance from the law rest means freedom and uh, freedom from serving and worshipping in our own strength rest means The rest that God himself enjoys. Unbelief will make us fall short of rest. We should fear lest any of us fail to reach it. And that rest is so important that it should upset us. It should make us concerned when we see others around us also fall short. So this isn't just for you. This is for each of us. Looking out for every other one of us. Hebrews 4 2. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united in faith with those who listened. God's hearing, hearing God's word isn't enough. And the word of God, it was given to, to ancient Israel, right? They knew and they heard it but it didn't benefit them because they didn't receive it with faith. The message was received but it wasn't united with faith. The New King James says it wasn't mixed with faith. They didn't make it their own by demonstrating that faith by walking, by entering the promised land. For we have believed for we who have believed enter that rest. As he had said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all the works, and again in this passage he said, they will not enter my rest. We all have the same word. We all have the same promises. Some hear and believe and enter in. Others hear and doubt and continue to wander. Twice here it says, they shall not enter my rest. God's rest has been available since creation. The rest he offers is patterned after God's own rest on the seventh day, where God rested from all of his works. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear my, his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The first generation of Israelites failed to enter because of disobedience. But still the next generation entered the promised land through Joshua, led by Joshua. Joshua. The writer of Hebrews here is saying that not only is the rest available to the next generation, but it was available many, many years later and David put it in a psalm, Psalm 95. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, which is the rebellion, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. So not only To David is this promise promised, but also to us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but receive and believe and enter his rest. So there's today, there's an urgency here. Not tomorrow, not next week. Do it today. Now is the time to believe. Now is the time to demonstrate our faith. Now is the time to enter his rest. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So does this mean once we enter God's rest, we have no more work to do? No, not quite. It means we no longer have to work to earn our salvation. It means we no longer have to uh, adhere to the requirements of the law in order to be saved. We no longer have to work for our righteousness. God rested when he finished creation in Genesis 2:2, and we rest from our works To gain salvation because Jesus finished that work on the cross. So lastly, we now have heard wilderness. We know where the wilderness is. We know how we got there. We know what the rest is. So how do we get out? Hebrews 4.11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We must counter unbelief with faith. We must choose to believe. We must strive to be diligent to enter that rest. We need to work at it. Difficult circumstances come our way. We, choose to hang on to, we can choose to hang on to the promises of God. Or we can let doubt reign in our, in our hearts and minds and keep us in the wilderness. So while I'm writing this message, God allowed me to exercise, as, as God always does. He's like, okay, you're writing this. This is what you're saying. Are you, are you, are you, are you going to be able to do it? So this past Monday, uh, there were another round of layoffs at work. Yay. Um, and I didn't know about it. So if the timing is unexpected, as a manager you usually know, you only know if there's layoffs, if, someone, if you have to lay somebody off. And so I didn't know. So that can mean one of two things. I don't have anybody to lay off, yay. Or I'm getting laid off. And it's, it's like this secret weird thing. So it takes usually about a day to make sure, you know, is there an appointment on my calendar that I'm not expecting? Okay, is it? Is it? Because I lay people off, I know how it's supposed to go. So this is Monday, and uh, I have a choice to make, right? I can start down the path of fear and doubt, or I can rest in the knowledge that God has a perfect plan. And by that, I don't mean that I'm not getting laid off, right? Because I could still get be getting laid off as of Monday. I didn't get laid off, praise God. Um but the perfect plan would have been perfect whether I got laid off or not. The part that you have to choose is that, okay, God, I trust you, and there's no reason to fear because God's got a perfect plan. So we need to be diligent to enter that rest. We we may fall as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. We are susceptible susceptible to the same disobedience uh, and the same doubt, but God is sufficient. In all circumstances. And we need to continue to choose to believe that. So how do we get out of the wilderness and stay out? The primary tool. Wait for it. Wait for it. The word of God. So let's continue in Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no, crea- no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, to whom we must give account. So we, we get out of the wilderness through the word of God. It has the, the power and the precision to cut away any pretenses. To remove any delusions we're clinging to. It dissects. It exposes our hearts. It diagnoses our intentions and our motivations. It's living and active. It exposes our weaknesses and our unbelief. So just acquiring knowledge and facts from the Word of God won't get us out of the wilderness. We need to have the Word of God minister to us. God meets us when we're in the Word and you hear His voice when you're there daily. The Holy Spirit works powerfully through the Word of God to give us understanding and to give us well, everything we need. Gives us the, the Holy Spirit and God give us the faith to believe, and they give us the power. The Word of God builds up our faith to combat any unbelief. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. God's word applied in our hearts keeps us from sin. Psalm 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is truth and sanctifies us and cleanses us. John 17.17 Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is a source of strength. Psalm 119.28 My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Our, God's word is a counselor. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. God's word illuminates our path and shows us the way. Psalm one nineteen one o five, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's word gives us peace to those who love it. Psalm 119, 165. Give peace. Great peace have those who love it. Who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So all of these above. All the verses we just went through. It's just knowledge. I don't want to say just truth. But it's truth. But just truths. Just facts. Until you act on those. Here is not helping any. You need to claim them as your own. Until we go from knowledge to action, until we step out in faith, they're just words. Until we choose to enter in and go from unbelief and doubt to belief and trust and obedience, it's just words. So we need to not only read the word, but meditate on it and apply it daily. The knowledge of God applied through faith is what leads us to rest in him. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The word of God has everything we need for life, for service, for walking the Christian walk. The word of God has what we need to come out of the wilderness and enter his rest. But I have one other suggestion to help us out of the wilderness. Let's go back to Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To combat unbelief we need to be around other believers who will exhort, who will encourage our faith and belief. We need to exhort one another daily. So that means not just Sunday and Wednesday when we meet. Daily. And we need to both give exhortation and receive it. And exhortation isn't criticizing or judging. It isn't rebuking or correcting. Those all have places in our relationships, but this is different. Exhorting is building up. It is increasing each other's faith. It is reminding each other of God's goodness, God's promises, and God's word. It's pointing each other to Jesus. We need to be in regular fellowship or we can't exhort anyone, and no one can exhort us. Hebrews 10 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. First, there's Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. We need to encourage and watch out for our brothers. We need to watch out for our sisters as long as it's called today. We belong to each other. We need each other. We need to encourage each other to be faithful to the Lord. Today, do it now. Brothers and sisters, we need to look out for each other. We need to check in on each other. And we need to be honest and real with each other when somebody asks us how we are. I'm okay. I'm okay. It's fine. Maybe that person who looks like they have it all together is not okay. Two years ago, I was not okay. But God in his mercy put a brother in my path to walk with me as God led me out of the wilderness. A faithful brother, hold me accountable. Listen to me while I whine don't buy my excuses and then point me to the word of God and to Jesus. We need to be willing to do both roles. The one who asks for help, the one who has to trust, the one who has to be honest and transparent and we also need to be the one who listens and the one who can be trusted with a brother's heart or a sister's Life, who is faithful to walk beside them, who builds them up with the Word of God and points them to Jesus. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As believers, we share a common belief, we share a common salvation. We need to exhort and encourage one another. We need to build up the faith of our brothers and sisters and encourage them to hold firm, confident in our beliefs, regardless of the circumstances and the difficulties that come our way. And finally, no creature has hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We are naked and exposed before our God. There's nothing we can do to hide from him. Our motives, our doubts, but also our hopes and our desires are all laid bare in front of him, in front of an all-knowing God. We will stand before him and give account of what we've done with the gifts he has given us. We have been promised rest, It is up to us to enter it. It is up to us to stay in it and not wander again. We must beware of an evil heart of unbelief that will leave us wandering in the wilderness. We must enter into his rest by trusting his word and obeying his will. We can do this as we listen to his word, understand it, trust it, and obey it. Only in this way can we claim our inheritance in Christ and live that victorious Christian life that God intends for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we come before you recognizing you're all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect God, who's chosen imperfect people to do your will. Lord, we ask for your strength to fill us with your faith to eradicate any unbelief and sin in your people. Lord, we ask that you move in our hearts and minds to remember all that you do for us and all your promises. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.